So if you're turning your Bible to look and read, I think I have one of the slides anyway, but that'll be what we'll be reading out of. Again, we'll be kind of covering the whole two letters as we go, as we finish this up. So I titled this Instructions for Church and Life, but Veronica and I were talking this morning, um, and if I would subtitle this or kind of give it a second title, it may, it may be Making a Stew, right? Because... We all have to eat, so we have to know how to cook something, but, but church is more like a stew, right? We all put different pieces or vegetables or meat or whatever it is into the stew, right? Broth, water. So we're all bringing pieces of ourselves and putting it into, this, into the pot, right? And we make the church, right? So that's kind of the, we'll probably hit on that story or the, the analogy a little more, but, but, you know, next week, I don't know how many of you guys have already voted since we can mail everything in, uh, but, right, so every four years, we get to have a potential transfer of power, Right from the president and you know the Congress and the, the House and the, and the and the the Senate, you know they're a little more often, right? Depending on the, the, the districts and whatnot, every couple of years. So every few years, right? We the people are more or less in charge. We get to vote for our people, right? So we are a constitutional republic, and so that's how it works. And we are vastly different from the monarchy that we broke away from, right? From England. So we don't have a king who just said, "Well, you're you're my son, so you get to be the king." Because you're next in line, right? Or whose uncle's aunt's cousin, whatever, if you look down the line. And there's been civil wars for English history, especially fought because, well, I should be, in, I should be the next king or queen because I, you know, my dad's uncle's grandmother's aunt, whatever, cousin was in charge, right? So that's how it is, and that's why we have a constitutional republic so we can have an orderly transfer of power so it doesn't get violent, um, and so this is what Paul is going through. He knows he is dying. He knows he's going to be, he's older, so he knows he's at least going to either die or, as it happens, right, he is beheaded. He's killed. So he's martyred, right? So he knows this is, his life is coming to an end. He knows that this is not the end of the church. And so he has gone around planting all these churches throughout East, you know, through Asia, Asia Minor, part of Europe. Right? So he's making sure that these churches that he planted are going to succeed and, and flourish and keep going. Because the gospel message is that important where he needs to make sure that the Paul, we don't celebrate Paul's gospel, we celebrate God's gospel. So he's there just to push it forward, right? Because kingdoms, businesses, and empires, right? There's not always this peaceful transfer of power. Sometimes people don't get good advice and they just think, well, I can be in charge because I'm the son or the daughter. And they're terrible. They're terrible leaders. They're terrible, they have terrible character, whatever it is. And so they, they ruin the business. They ruin the, the country. They ruin the empire, whatever it is. And so Paul is making sure that this doesn't happen because the gospel message, right, the mission of the church is far too important for one person to get wrapped up that it's their responsibility and only their responsibility. And if, if they die, the church dies. It should never be that way, right? So Paul wants to make sure that the church at Ephesus especially is now is going, is in a good position to go forward. And he puts Timothy in charge of this church. Now he is sort of looked at as the bishop. So he is kind of the head of all the churches, if there's a bunch of probably house churches in the city and maybe the surrounding region, he's kind of there to make sure that everybody's on track, right? He's going to train other leaders in these things, right? So he knows that this church at Ephesus is, is, is dangerous. It's, it's, it's in a dangerous spot, right? It's the biggest city, in, it's fourth biggest city in Rome. So he sends his trusted worker, Timothy, to work there. And so he sends these letters, these last two letters to him, to encourage him, to instruct him, and to make sure that he can further the gospel message. And so we're going to go ahead and read 
Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through eight. Like I said, I think I have it on here. I don't know. Well, it's actually kind of small, but it's up there on the screen if you want to read it, if you can see it. Um, and I'm going to read it anyway. So here it is. This is what Paul tells Timothy at the end of his letter. Excuse me. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will, multi will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Right, that is his word for, for Timothy, right? That is, and that is the word for us, for me especially as a pastor, other elders we raise up, leaders in the church, that is what we are charged with. And so if you've never had a position where somebody charges you with a position or responsibility, it's a huge deal. In the Air Force, especially, I don't know, I don't know I'm sure the Army does it or not, I think they do, right? You, as an NCO or a senior NCO, you get charged with certain things. You, you have to swear, like, basically an oath, I, you are charged to do these things. And you are held responsible for those things, right? So this is what Paul is doing for Timothy, right? So here is the main point that we're going to look at today. And here it is, and this, this is what Paul says. Paul gives Timothy some final instructions on how to renew the church at Ephesus and keep the church on track so the church can glorify God. Right? That, if you want to kind of circle a verse, wherever 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 and 15 kind of speak to that. Right? It's so the church can glorify God. It's not for us to come here and just hang out on Sundays and I love doing it. It's awesome, right? But we're here to do this so we can train, learn how to glorify God, learn how to teach other people about God, learn and get the gospel message out, right? This is an outpost that we have to go out into enemy territory, essentially, and, and, and convince the natives that they should become Christians, right? That is our job. Right, and we come here and learn and, and do these things. Right, so Paul does three things to Timothy. He instructs him. If you're looking at the outline, right, he he instructs Timothy to lead well. He's going to instruct Timothy to teach well, and he's going to instruct Timothy to live well. Right, those are the three things that, that Paul, with these two letters, that's what he is doing, and it's really that's pretty much the gist of every letter he has. The leaders need to lead well, they need to teach the right doctrine, and they need to live well according to God's word, not according to how we think we should be, right? So these letters were mostly written, most likely written somewhere between 62 and 66 AD. Now, most people, I think, think that Paul was killed around 64 AD-ish. Again, everything gets a little, you got to give a few years, years leeway, right? But somewhere in that realm, you know, maybe 60 to 62 is probably the best time, especially for, for 2 Timothy and so he is writing this towards the end of his, the very end of his life, right? And Paul, and Paul expects Timothy, the first point, to lead well. And also he is, a, he is charged with selecting new leaders that meet the criteria to, lead, to be leaders. You can't just let anybody come in and go, hey, I, you're a likable fellow. Let, let's see if you can lead. 
Because right? that's, that's not a good thing, right? Because there has to be some kind of criteria, some kind of vetting process to say you are qualified because you are going to be responsible for what? People, money, the message. So we need to make sure that you're not greedy, that you're going to take care of people, that you love people. Because sometimes the ministry would be great without people. Right? It sounds, it's, it's kind of sarcastic, right? Because people have problems, right? People bring things to you and you have to fix it, right? We talked about wisdom last night or yesterday in the men's Bible study. We have to use that wisdom to say, all right, here's how we fix your problem. Now, we love it. I love it. You have to be predisposed to, to do this, right? We're, that's why, I'm, like me, I'm called to ministry. Most of the pastors are called to do that thing, right? And so that's what they do, right? So I, I say that what I said about ministry would be great without people as, as a joke a little bit, right? But, but that's where the problems come. That's what keeps you up at night. That's where you get your late phone calls right? when you're really taking care of people, right? So you have to be, that's part of the job, right? So he gives instructors for the elders or the overseers, you know, what, what we call colloquially as, as pastors. And there's specific instructions for that in 1 Timothy 3. These are what you need to be. And also he gives instructions for servants or deacons, Right? And so leadership is more than just being in charge, though, right? Anybody can be in charge, and I can just order you around, like, do this, do that. Like, wait a minute, who do you think you are? Right? But leading people, caring for people, that's a different story, right? Because really, leading the church or leading, leading things is about being responsible. Who do I go to because something happened, right? Let me talk to your manager because I didn't get my chicken from Chick-fil-A again, Right? So you see, men are responsible for the church, right? This is the, because this is the church is the bride of Christ, right? And we also, as men, are called to submit to Christ's headship, to his rulership. And so we are here. So that's why men, can be, men have to be pastors, or men, only men can be pastors, because we are responsible in God's hierarchy. So it has nothing to do with being sexist or anything like that. It's the fact that God is holding us as men as descendants of Adam, responsible for what goes on in his kingdom. Yeah. Right? We are the stewards. We are hell. He doesn't, he's not going to come to Eve and go, why didn't you do it? He's going to come to Adam and say, why did you let her do it? Right? It's, it's, bigger, it's a bigger deal for us. So when people try to say, well, it's just a sexist thing, it's a patriarchal, patriarchal you know, situation. No, it's not. It's, it's being responsible. Same thing with being in the military. If you have the rank, you are now responsible. I don't care how good of a leader you are or you're not. You made the rank, so now you're responsible for what you are charged with. So that's why that is, right? So, but he also calls the deacons in, in, into call. And that, right, those are both men and women because we need both people, both sexes to serve. Because you guys can talk to other women about certain things that are women problems. Men can talk to other men about women pro men problems, right? Or things like that, right? Because if, it's, if I'm talking to somebody about a woman problem, it may be different. You get a different perspective. And that may be needed, but it's not may not be correct or appropriate. So that's how the stew, right? The stew, what he talked about, comes together. Because we're all different pieces making... But sometimes it's called beef stew because the beef is the main part. So the man... Is, the, is in charge of the responsible for this church, right? But Paul also expects Timothy to take care of the people in the churches, right? Treating older men and women like parents and treating younger people like siblings, right? It's respect. Because you can lead and you can be in charge again, but you can't really, you're not really leading them. You're not leading them correctly. You're just manning them. They're two different things. And he also instructs Timothy 
He gives them ideas on how to take care of widows, right? He says if they're, they're all alone with no family, then they should be enrolled on the list for support. This is from 1 Timothy 3 and 4. All right, so all these are kind of how to run the church, right? He's giving them instructions on how to run this church, right? But if she has a family, then the family should take care of the widows first. The church kind of helps out probably, right? So, hey, we need some help because we have an extra person living here. So can you help us? But we're going to take care of most everything else. You know, you don't have to pay her rent or anything. We'll do it, right? Because they should be the primary caretakers, and those family members should be taught to have Christ-like compassion to take care of your own family members, especially if it's your own mother or aunt. And so, right, there's this hierarchy that goes on, and there's this, this, this stew that's being made with the church on how he does it. And he's really teaching Timothy how to be the cook and how to make the stew the right way, to make it taste good, Right? And so men and women are given gifts to serve the church in other capacities, right? It doesn't mean that we're not all leaders or we're not responsible for our own pieces of the pie, but you know, the, the pastors, the overseers are that, just that. They are overseeing everything, right? Because it's ultimately God's church. It's not, this is not my church. As much as I say that, hey, come to my church, you know, I, you, we say that, and it's okay, and I don't mean like I, because I have an ownership part of it. It's my name's on the mailbox, but ultimately God's name is on the mailbox. This is God's church. I am a steward taking care of the manor house and everything else with it until the return of the king. And so he's going to hold me accountable for whatever happens here. He's going to hold whatever other elders we raise up accountable to what goes on here. And so it's important that we can order things correctly and, and still let people do their work. And so Paul knows his time is short, though, and Timothy is going to take over for Paul, and he must teach others well so that the church continues, right? The cycle continues. Because if you don't pass the recipes on to your kids, that whatever the, whatever the great apple pie or stew or whatever it is that your great-grandmother made and you make, if it doesn't pass on, it's gone. The same thing with the church, right? So Paul instructs Timothy to teach well. So in First Timothy or Second Timothy, one twelve, Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Right? Paul is encouraging Timothy to pass on the true teaching that Timothy received. Right? Timothy traveled. Timothy, Titus, Luke, Matthew, or Mark, Barnabas. They all were hanging around Paul for years. So imagine the times walking around the road, sitting on the boats, doing whatever, sitting around the campfires, all the teachings that go on, that went on for those years on those missionary trips, and the times he spent in prison with them, sitting there talking out, hanging, just hanging out with Paul. How much knowledge was dumped into those guys' heads? You know, it's, it's probably amazing how much knowledge was passed, right? So he's telling him, look, you need to teach, keep teaching the same thing I taught. Don't add your spin to it as far as the, the actual text, right? And this true teaching, though, right, it rests on Christ Jesus. It doesn't, it's not Timothy's teaching, it's Christ Jesus' teaching. And so I have to remind myself of that every single time I step in here because it's, these aren't my words, these are God's words. And so that, again, comes back to me being responsible to teach you all the right things. And so when we read the Bible, we hear the God's words, our response of what we read should not be just like, oh, I think it means this. I think it means that. It should be, this is what God tells me. 
And it's not, should be, it should not be manipulated to just get what you want, but it should be honestly saying, okay, I'm wrong here in my actions because God says I should do this. And I, need, I, want, I haven't been doing that, so I need to fix myself. Right? I need to move back to center. Right? We keep talking about this. We need Christ-centered, right? So if we're over here thinking whatever it is, nope, I need to be over here. Right? And boop, right back in the middle again. Because God is going to tell us some things. There are things in here that we probably don't agree with. And not just how often we have the, the Lord's Supper and all that, but, but like real things that matter about your salvation. And so we need to make sure that just because we don't agree with them doesn't mean we need to actually get on board with it, because we do. We need to understand what God is telling us and why. And so Paul, or Paul is telling Timothy, right, he needs to keep reminding to tell, tell the truth, teach the truth. And as we read in 2 Timothy 4, right, there are going to be people that don't want to listen. They want to find the guy who tells them all the right words, like, you're, you're super awesome, you're great, you're powerful, you're cool, right? All these things that, that make it seem like you're not sinful, that you don't really know why you need Jesus. Because if I'm so awesome, why do I need Jesus? Because you're not awesome, because you're sinful. You're a sinful creature. The only reason you're saved is because through the blood of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Right? And so we need to help people understand that because they've been listening to the wrong people too often, too long. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 through 15 says, This is why I endure all the things for the elect, so they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I think I have it on the slide actually too. This saying is trustworthy. He says, For if we died with him, meaning Jesus, we will also live with him. Again, Jesus if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so verses 14 and 15 says, Paul says, Remind them of these things, so remind the people and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to, to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Correctly teaching the word of truth. Right, that's where if you've heard the term Awanas, the, the program Awanas, right, that's what that comes from. A, approved worker does not need to be ashamed. Right? That's what Awana actually stands for. If you guys didn't know that, if, you had, if, we, if we had a moment, maybe we get Awana running at some point, whatever. Right? Because all of this thing, we, when we listen to the correct teaching, right, it now helps us to live well. Right, so this third part of, of Paul instructs us to live well. So again, Ephesus was a... A great city, right? It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Had lots of merchants, money, and power. And so this is why Paul tells Timothy in, 6, in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Because people were trying to come into the church and just buy their way into leadership, buy their way into doing whatever, like, hey, I want this. Like, I want blue carpet, and I'll pay for it. Mm, we don't like blue carpet. We don't want blue card. It doesn't match, right? Whatever it is, right? And so they're trying to do these things like, hey, make me a pastor. I'll, I'll make sure there's more than a tithing plate. Make me an elder. Make me a teacher. Make me do this or that. You know, put me in charge. Because they were used to doing that in their civilian life, basically. They said, oh, I can just come to church and do the same thing. And so he says, watch out for those people because they're manipulating. They're trying to do things because they think that money rules everything. And so, again, they had lots of politicians and socially important people because there's lots of merchants and things like that. So you had all these people who wanted to be in charge, but yet, as we talked, right, Christianity flips everything on its head. The slave is equal to the master. 
The Jew is equal to the Greek. The man is equal to the woman. All these things, it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. We have hierarchy here. We're up here, they're down there. Not in the church. Everybody's even. And so it was confusing for them, right? Because the Greco-Roman culture was also just living their own way, right? They could, if I'm married, it doesn't matter. I'll go out and have 15 girlfriends. Because I can afford it. And I'm traveling or whatever, right? I'll justify it however I want. I'm, I'm, I'm just that guy. And so Paul's like, no, you need to be faithful to your wife because that's the covenant of marriage is, is set forth by God. It's a sacred union. It's not just a convenient business, business transaction. Right? And so that's what it is, right? All these changes that Paul is making to society that we have lived with for 2,000 years that we take for granted because that's how we think it is. But we looked at it a few weeks ago, right? That's wasn't, that wasn't how the rest of the world was acting pretty much no matter where you went, anywhere you went. So the goal of the Christian is not to live as you want to live, but to live as God would have you live. Right? It's not to do what I want, it's to do what God wants me to do. And we're to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, right? That's the, that's the home base. That's the, that's the home base for, your, for me especially, but for all of us, that should be our home base verse. Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? But in 1 Timothy 6, 11, Paul's instructed to flee these things, right? Meaning money and fleshly cravings and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. To take hold of the eternal life to which you are, were called and about which you made a confession in the presence of many witnesses, right? You want to have a good tasting stew? Put these ingredients in. Go buy the best ingredients, right? Go wherever, Whole Foods or whatever. Get all the good organic carrots and celery and whatever else and the best, most expensive beef or whatever you want to put in your stew. That's what you need, right? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness, and cook until you die. Because that's what, how long it's going to take to make the stew. Because that's the smell, that smell, we, right, when you make Thanksgiving, or we talk about it, best time of the year, why? Because the cookies turkey and the potatoes are cooking everything, the smell in the house, right? It's like, oh, this is the best smell. That, the smell of your stew with these ingredients is pleasing to God, this aroma. And so this isn't a list of rules, right, to abide by, like a lot of people think, like, oh, if I become a Christian, I've got to follow these rules, is you really have less rules. It's much easier to deal with. Right? But it's our realization that God's way of life is the best way of life. Right? It's the good way of life. Right? When Jesus says, the young man comes and says, how do I be good? Or he says, good teacher. He's like, why do you call me good? Right? Because he knows God is the only one who's good. And so the best way, right? Proverbs 1.7, again, we talked about it yesterday in the men's Bible study. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And we talked about this in June in, in Psalm 107. We went over it, right? The wise and the fool. So who likes to be called a fool? Does anybody like to be called a fool? Like, man, you're a fool. Anybody? Now, sometimes it's okay if you're making a joke. You're like, man, that's, that's funny. That's, you're a fool, right? It's, it's okay, right? But if you're saying, like, look, you're an idiot. Right? That's kind of what a lot of times when people are using it as a, as a derogatory term, right? They're calling you an idiot. And so scripture portrays fools as those who have rejected God and his ways and are unable or unwilling to appreciate the wisdom of knowing and obeying him. Right? That is the biblical definition of a fool. 
So here you have the gospel message laid out for you, and yet you don't want to hear it. You see all these things, the planet, everything that works, and it works very meticulously and exactly, but yet you don't want to say that God created these things. Right? You say, oh, it just happened. Well, who made it happen? Well, nobody. It just, just happened. So the earth just happened to stop. Like, put the brakes on. Right here, this is it. This is all we're going. This is, the further, this is as far as we're going. Right? The sun's a magnetic pool. Everything like that. We're tilted the right way to have the right weather, to do everything that we need to do to live here. That's way too exact, because everybody says, the scientists tell you, if we're off, if we're moved a little bit here or there, it's too hot or too cold, right? We live in the Goldilocks zone. This porridge is just right. right? The stew is just right for us, right? But the world regards us as fools, right? The world resolves, regards Christians as fools, right? First Corinthians 4.10, it tells us that the Christians are fools, right? So I think it's the next slide, Mace. Maybe, maybe the next slide. No, is there another slide? Next, next slide. Maybe the next slide. There we go. We are fools for Christ, right? But we are wise in Christ, right? Because the world thinks we're stupid, but we know we're not. We are weak, but you are strong, right? God is strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. So this is what the world thinks of us. Oh, you bunch of dummies sitting over there getting up early on Sundays, missing football, doing whatever. But we know where we're going to end up, right? The world also regards the, the gospel as foolishness. But what do we do with this? Because it's like, it's all well and good, but you're the pastor, so this letter, these letters are for you, Darren. These letters are just for you. I don't have to read these. Right, well, here's the deal. Here's the first part of the application. Is God calls us to ministry work. Right, God calls us, not just me, us, to ministry work. In Ephesians 2 Paul asserts that it is by grace you have been saved through faith and is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. And later in that same chapter, in verse 19, he says, not a result, it's not a result of our work so that one may boast, right? But then he says, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, right? He brings you across the border. He brings you across that border, says, you are one of my citizens. He's moving you over, right? So Paul continually refers to himself as being called by God or he is an apostle by the will of God. He knows, he knows where he gets his authority from. He knows where he came from and why he is where he is, right? We were chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in Ephesians 1, 4 says. Amen. And so Romans 8, 30 is the golden chain of how we get into God's kingdom, right? We are predestined and we are called. He also called and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified, right? Amen. That is your path to heaven. Amen. So he knew you were going to be already and he calls you when you're alive and then he justifies you through the, through the grace and the death of Jesus Christ. And so when we die, we will be glorified with him in heaven. And so he didn't call us just to lean on the wall like a bunch of sixth graders at a dance. You guys remember back then, right? What happens? All the girls are on this side. All the boys are on this side. The punch table is in the middle somewhere. And everybody's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm going to watch football. You know, and the girls are talking about whatever the girls are talking about. And there's like one kid who goes out and he's brave and he goes and dances in the middle. He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. He wants us all to get out there on the dance floor. 
And dance however you know how to dance. Dance to your favorite song, right? That's your thing. You don't have to dance to every song, but dance to your songs that you like, right? That's your gifts. Because he, the second point is that he expects us to participate in ministry work. Right? He expects us to participate here. He is, we come here and do things. This is an action sport. Christianity is an, as a verb, not a noun. Right? Timothy was, a gift, was gifted as a leader, and Paul probably wouldn't have put him in that position. Even though he was probably a timid, he was not like Paul, because you can kind of get the, the, the point that Paul was probably pretty brash, very direct, very outspoken. Timothy was not. So he's like, look, don't be afraid of the older people. Don't be afraid of the guys who are going to try to bully you because I put you in charge. You have the gift of leadership. You just have a different way of doing it, and that's fine. And we see history through, the, through history of the leaders of the church, right, and what they did with their ministry. We see this, right? But who also is there? All the other people, all the workers, right? Charles Spurgeon ran a ran a. a, a, a Multiple ministries, he ran an, a, a, an orphanage and everything else, right? He wasn't just probably doing it by himself. He had at least had his wife with him, helping. He most likely had other people taking care of the sheets and the food and everything else. He wasn't cooking all day. He had other people doing the ministry work with him. And so it is with us, right? These countless workers taking care of these small details, right? Paul mentions important people that further the gospel with him in all his letters. If you read through, you see towards the end of them, if you look toward, turn towards all his letters in the, the last chapters... There's usually a list of names and say, thank, hey, all these people, thank them for me. I want to appreciate them, right? <clears throat> and so we never hear anything about most of these people again. But they're there. They moved the church. We're here today because of them. And so Timothy's mother and grandmother are also mentioned by Paul for their important work to get him to teach him the gospel message before he was really even an adult yet. So he was saved because of a grandmother and a mother and their, and their teachings and prayers. I think we have similar stories here like that, right? Everyone has their favorite song to dance to, and that's what we do. And that's why we have different gifts that work all to make the stew, right? We make this, the, the stew of the church. We got people who can do the math really quick, right? We are talking yesterday, Bob is a math whiz. He knows exactly where to lay out the lights. And he's like, all right, Chuck, that's where you cut your holes, they work, in they work in tandem, they work as a team, they get it all done. Now we have lights in the, in the, in the sanctuary, we have lights later, right? These two guys are doing the mountains of work, and, and the ladies are picking colors and doing all the other stuff like that, right? We're all doing different things to make the ministry work. On Thursday afternoon with the Kids Club, we have five different churches here working, in concert, teaching the kids the gospel message. That's what ministry is. It's not my church, your church, their church. It's our big C church. That's what we do. And that's the mission we're called to, right? Because we are here to preach the good news, right? And so God is blessing this church with faithful workers. He's blessed these churches here at Ephesus. He's blessing us with encouragers, workers, evangelists, teachers, administrators, whoever. Because he will bring the people here to get the, message, the, the ministry done. Right? And each Thursday our class seems to be growing, which is good news, right? <clears throat> because we're teaching them the knowledge that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross and was raised again on the third day. That is the good news for our sins, for your sins that we committed. But we also, God expects us to also, the last point, the third point, he expects us to train others in ministry work as well. 
Right? We are here to train. If we, if we stop, we don't have new people to train, the church goes away. And we're working on that too. Right? But that's what he does. He is, he is bringing people for us to train, to disciple, to make sure that the church goes on. Right? This is the whole point of this letter and what Paul did everywhere he went. He raised up leaders to make, and he made sure that those disciples would make disciples. And so on and so forth. Right? It's not just a commandment to John, James, and Peter said, well, it's your responsibility. You three, you 11, really, because after Judas, you all 11 have to make the rest of the disciples, and that's it. So once you're done, you're done, and we'll just hope that it works out. That's why we have the Bible, right? Because it's a written down teaching of what we know. And even in Deuteronomy, right, the nation of Israel was commanded to learn the Torah, right, the law, or the teachings. But not only that, they're also supposed to teach the Torah to their children, and their children, when they become, they become adults and they have children, they move, they switch spots. So it's just a, it's just a chain. And this is why God reserved, preserved his people, right? Because the law and the old covenant points us to the Savior and more importantly, the need for a Savior. So this is why we need it and this is how we got him. This is how God arranged history to get Jesus to Christmas Day. Right? That we celebrate. We could not fulfill God's law on our own, right? And we need a mediator, the God-man Jesus Christ, who acted on our behalf as the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist says, to come and take away the sins of the world. That is what Jesus did. That is why the Old Testament is just as important as the New. Because if I don't know I'm sinful, I don't know I need to be saved. So you're just going to drown without even knowing it. And so we teach people this new covenant that was made with Jesus' blood and flesh to bring us into the, into the kingdom to give us a permanent access to the ministry because he calls us all into this ministry, right? And so like Paul, we know we're mortal and we're going to pass away at some point, right? But the church will not because the church is part of God's everlasting kingdom. And Paul says, which, right? He says the church is the, the church of the living God, right? The pillar, listen, the pillar of foundation and truth, the foundation of the truth. That is what we deal here. We deal truth here, not just convenient Stories. Right? We're talking about the truth of Jesus Christ. And so that is our, that is our responsibility. So, so what happens to Timothy, though, right? We don't hear anything from him. Well, good thing that we have the church history. Vesuvius, who was a 4th century historian and bishop of Caesarea, he records that Timothy became the first bishop of Ephesus, which that's pretty much what this letter, these letters set up, Right? And in apocryphal Acts of Timothy, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a separate book that's not biblical canon, right? Dating from the same period, so about the fourth century, describes his martyrdom on January twenty second of the year ninety seven when protesting at the licentious festivities in honor of Diana of the Ephesians. I think I have a picture of that. Um, but I think the Orthodox Church has recorded and made. So I think there's a picture. There you go. So that's Timothy laying down on the ground with the halo around his head, getting beat. It's a good marketing tool, right? Hey, come join a, join the church, get beat, you know. Um, but, but luckily we have these histories, right? The church has kept history, so we do know what happened, right? He defied, he died, Timothy died defending the faith and glorifying God with his life. Right? And so this is what he did. This is what it is, is the expectation, right? So Tom Schreiner, at the conclusion of his book on Paul, says, and this is a good encouragement for us, Believers who can be filled with confidence about the future because the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. He will vindicate his own and raise them from the dead. His saving work will be completed for those who are his own. 
and believers from every people group will worship God in Christ. Unbelievers and those who practice evil will be judged and punished forever. It's just the, the binary nature of the world, right? But God will also fulfill the promises he made to Israel, for he is a faithful covenant-keeping God, right? God's people will enter a new world full of joy, praising his goodness forever. And that is good news. And it's all made possible through Jesus Christ. Right? So we as believers, are, we have confidence that, that this is going to happen. We don't know when. And there's people speculating every year and every day, and some people have made pick dates, right? But, but next week, right, whoever wins the election, whether it's your guy or not your guy or whoever, right, depending on wh- where you look, what race you're looking at, right, we know that God is still on the throne, and one day he will return. So whatever happens next, th- next Tuesday is kind of whatever, because we follow God, right? That's our, we have to live in this country, and that's fine, and we, it's great. And we have lots of things, but, but we are citizens of heaven. Right? We live in the kingdom. Right? And so our job as the church is to stay the course that God has laid for us to preach the gospel in season and out of season. We teach the good news no matter what. And here's why it's good news. Right? So, so we are participating in the ministry that we have been called right, to focus our eyes on the cross and live a life that glorifies God, just like Timothy. So as we sing our last few songs, right, think about this. Don't get anxious next week or this week is coming because we don't know what's going to happen. And so we do this, right, so, so let's just think about and focus on God as much as we can. So let's go ahead and stand and we will do...